Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about cheating. We're going to be talking about micro-cheating. We're going to be talking about toxicity. But more importantly, how to be a good listener. I know, you'd think at this point in time and evolution, we'd understand how to do that. But alas, we don't. And a lot of arguments are really centered in people's inability to listen. So we'll be talking about that. And also, of course, slide into some DMs. Uh, I love covering topics like this. We're going to get into a few little sound bites of news. Apple emojis. They are now a bunch of new ones coming out. I love this. We've talked about how there's literally a governing body who makes the decision as to what emojis are released. Everything... Everything goes corporate at some point. Um, and everything's institutionalized at some point, I should say. So what are the new ones? Uh, we have interracial gay couples. Uh, yeah, we should, because uh, that's a real thing. Also, bearded ladies. That's a sub-movement that I'm all here for. Um, Female-identified individuals no longer being willing to hide or have shame or guilt around body hair. And some people with uh, things like PCOS have more body hair than uh, maybe more, more individuals in their, in their gender category would. Um, ready for this one? I, I don't know where all of these go. I'm assuming some are removed when new ones are added. 217 new emojis in the latest iOS 14.5 update. What? Where's the room? Like every now and then I'll swipe through and I'm like, wait, there's a new one here. Wait, that's a new one. I don't have time to keep up with them all. Uh, again, as I said, they're they're getting about, they're looking for more inclusivity, which is a huge part of mental health and social justice is seeing yourself represented. To swipe through emojis and not see yourself, that's horrifying. There's no reason for that. Everyone should be able to see themselves represented. It shouldn't just be white cis hetero straight people, right? Like all sorts of abilities, all sorts of gender expressions, all sorts of body shapes and sizes. So I love this. A lot of them are centered around the LGBTQIA community. We are getting ready for this one. 200 different skin tone choices for interracial and gay couples. Whoa! With additional male, female, and gender neutral options. I'm all about this. Including stoner emojis. That's right. New Jersey just legalized marijuana. Bam, 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 bam. You're going to see it in most states. It's a good thing. Let people that need help get help not get thrown in jail and penalized. And let's also retroactively release people that were thrown in jail for marijuana possession. That is the dumbest thing to lock someone up for. Especially when we have things like alcohol blown around everywhere, which leads to higher rates of violence and domestic violence and DUIs, where uh, cannabis has never been directly associated with any death, death, and it's also not associated with any form of violence or domestic violence. 
Um, and a lot of people have medicinal use, but you don't need it just medicinally. If someone's in a state where it's legal and you want to use it for fun and recreation, that's awesome too. I also work with a lot of clients where it helps with their anxiety and sleep. Um, but nonetheless, let's get back to emojis because this is amazing. I'm looking at some of them. The stoner ones are hilarious. I can't even really explain them and I wouldn't do it any justice, but there's like a little stoned face, a little cloudy face. Anywho, um, what else? Dun, 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 dun. We have a needle that's associated with vaccines to treat the global pandemic. Of course we do, right? Everything shows up. It's not real unless there's an emoji. How about that one? Atlanta, congrats. Y'all have the first gender-neutral clothing store. It's also black-owned. Again, when I'm shopping for something, I try to find black-owned and queer. And if they're black and queer, bam. So here we got it. This is one of the stores where a kid can actually be themselves. I love this said an eight-year-old who inspired her mom to create Mini Friday. Yep, it was inspired by eight-year-old daughter's, eight-year-old daughter's fashion style. So Atlanta mother opened the city's first gender-neutral clothing store. I love that. That's adorable. More of that, you know, again, that's like when I was reporting on the father who created a bikini for his trans, um, trans daughter so she could wear a bathing suit that um, helped with her anatomy and making her feel comfortable in her gender expression and who she is. So I'm all about that. Um, Kate Hudson is reacting to the backlash from Sia's movie, which is problematic. We're going to talk about my thoughts on that later in the show, but this is just newer news. Um, you know, again, actors and actresses that are out there, if you know, you're not part of a community. Yeah, I think it's okay to let people from that community play the roles because oftentimes those would be the only roles that they would get because they're not going to be afforded the opportunity to be in roles that are, <clears throat> excuse me, able-bodied if they're disabled, cis if they're trans. Um, so we want to give people those options. Um, and more people are getting better about that. I'm hearing actors and actresses uh, turning down roles that should be going to someone else, like the um, black doctor in The uh, Simpsons is now going to be played by a black individual doing the voice. <laughs> Why a white man was ever cast to do that, I don't know. Now when we look back, things like that just seem so strange. Um, so I'm glad that that's starting to change. And also we'll land on this one. I thought this was really beautiful. Alex Trebek, God bless him, the host of Jeopardy who's passed away. You can only imagine what kind of wardrobe he has, how many suits. Well, they've all been donated to homeless men. What a, what a way to honor his legacy and also to do something meaningful with all that clothing, you know? Give people a chance to dress the way they feel like they need to dress for a job interview, just to wear something that feels good to them. Um, yeah, I love things like that. And I think that that's what's really important is us to continue to not just do fashion waste or food waste, but to get to the community. Uh, not just throw things in the garbage can behind the restaurant or the store, but to give them individuals that, that need them, that are literally hungry and would 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 very much make good use of these things. All right, uh, we're gonna take a little break and when we come back, we're gonna talk about how to be a good listener. This segment just might save one of your important relationships. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about how to be an amazing listener. You'd think it might be something that we are socialized to know how to do, but of course not. We have a uh, toxically individualist culture. We see the negative outcomes of that eh, in a lot of different domains of life where we don't worry enough about others. And it shows up in our relational style. It also shows up in our communication skills or lack thereof. And uh, we have to have a sense of the other. We have to have empathy to be a good listener. Because listening is about truly trying to sit with, sit in, empathize, and relate to someone else's experience. Now, 
a lot of fights I see in couples in my in my office is uh, centered in the the unwillingness or the difficulty in uh, really prioritizing the experience of the other because we often want to just defend ourselves and we really enter conversations, especially conflict, uh, thinking more about that being right or winning, right? Who's, whose reality is going to be the one that's determined to be correct. So it's about being right. It's about being uh, us being heard. But it's often not, not about am I hearing and giving space to the other because there's room for that. Even if you still want to turn it into who's right or who's wrong, we can still truly work to be present to the other person's experience. And that's like one of the best relational skills I can give a parent, uh, an employer, a uh, someone's romantic partner, being a sibling, is when someone's talking to you, start with trying to just understand their experience and what they're saying, right? That's the key. Before you step into, you know, are they right? Are they wrong? Are they defending themselves? And part of that is about just trying to identify a core emotion that they're trying to express to us. Because maybe they're trying to get factual information across, maybe they're trying to make a point, but often there's an emotional current woven through what they're trying to communicate. And often that's what's most meaningful. In a truly intimate relationship, people want you to be in their experience with them, right? And so what are some of the things we need to consider? to make ourselves able and better to do that. Uh, so let's go through it. Because this is about having quality conversations, right? If we are not creating that, people will stop trying to come to us with that, right? People will no longer make bids for our attention or to connect with us if we can't create the right kind of space where they feel heard. What happens is they start going to other people and then we drop uh, the intimacy, the the closeness, right? That we felt with this person drops or ceases to exist. And that's, and that's, so if you're realizing you've lost friends or you're losing friends or friends aren't reaching out as much, start maybe with that part. You know, do I hold space for their experience or do I try to make it about myself or do I jump in too much or do I battle them about right and wrong versus just listening to what they're trying to communicate, right? So when we're talking about, again, um, you know, habits that people are better listeners have. First one is about a sense of safety, right? We need others to know that whether right or wrong or whether we agree with them, that it is safe for them to come to us and share their thoughts and feelings. And I say that to parents first, often, you know, well, your kid won't go to you and share things if your response is always problematic. If you wonder why someone's not opening up to you or sharing things with you, it's based on your response. So ask yourself, do I get angry? Do I get dysregulated? Do I get judgmental? Do I cut them off? Well, there's your answer. That's why. The people that they'll go to are the ones that sit there and they listen, almost like a therapist. And they say, okay, I'm not going to judge you. You know, I'll let you know my thoughts. I'll let you know my feelings. I'll let you know what my concerns might be, but I'll hear you and, there's, and I'll give validity to what you're saying. So it's about that sense of safety, right? We're not going to immediately jump in and look for fault. We're going to kind of hold that space. And that's hard because as someone's sharing their experience, things come up for us, right? When someone shares their experience, we then begin to have our own experience of their experience and also maybe a triggering of our own historical associations with what they're talking about. So you definitely start to step into your own stuff, but we can only go one step at a time. And something I tell all the couples in my uh, practice, which is one thing at a time, 
we, we can't, we have to start with the person that initiated the conversation, right? They are the person whose needs we want to address first. But I work with clients where they flip it and, and they're trying to weigh in and they're saying, well, you're not listening to my thoughts or feelings. And it's like one thing at a time. So we want to stay with the space we're creating with the person who came to us initially, right? And then we move into, well, what kind of responses should you give? Well, again, don't, don't take the microphone and make it about you. Keep centering and prioritizing the other person's experience. And, and the way we do that is just by communicating. I'm listening, I'm with you, and using our body language and our responses to communicate, keep going. We don't shut it down, right? We nod, we affirm, right? Even if we don't agree, their experience is still relevant and we affirm, we affirm, we affirm, right? We stay curious. That's kind of the word I give the individuals I work with that really struggle with this is I say, stay curious. Again, the goal is to better understand them. So if you're not understanding them, keep asking questions that drive them deeper into what they're sharing, but stay curious. It's also what we should do on a first date. Not try to be liked, but stay curious about who is this person. And that's good conversation. Right, because uh, using uh, sticking with my dating example, there's nothing worse than walking away from a date or even coffee with a friend, feeling as though they never took time to check in with you or get to know you, and that it was very much centered in them just occupying all that space. Do you take a breath? Do you pause? Do you ask follow-up questions, right? Or do you reflect everything back to your experience and say, oh, well, what I've done or, no, slow down. Because often that's people trying to make it about themselves or even trying to just fix and find solutions. So as you're noticing, good listening is we're not, we have no agenda other than curiosity. We're not trying to fix. We're not making it about ourselves. The initial step is just creating that space, right? Um, we're gonna take a break. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking about how to be a good listener, which is a skill that is necessary for everyone. And also just for the parents that are listening, know that the way that you do this with your children, you're instilling in them the skills that they need to be able to bring this into their adulthood, which often lacks because we often deny children the respect that we give other adults and we cut them off, we shut them down, we mock, we belittle. And so it's really important to start at a young age. All right, when we come back, we'll complete that uh, and then we'll be doing some DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about being a good listener and then I uh, cannot wait to share with you <laughs> An amazing article that uh, had me uh, both horrified and laughing. <sighs> Various forms of toxic monogamy that our culture somewhat has normalized and also some things that people are struggling with. It's fascinating. I, I love talking about the ridiculous ways that people run their relationships so as to help um, you know, a lot of us do better. So just to close out what we were talking about earlier about being a good listener, we talk about the fact that it's about holding space for the other person's experience. It's not about right or wrong. It's not about correcting, fixing, finding a solution. The first step is just about being present, right? And when we do that, people will come back because they'll realize that we hold space for them. And my favorite example is always uh, going out for a coffee with someone or a date and you feel like they don't even know that there's another person there and you're kind of talking at them. So we keep using this word curiosity. I think that's the most important one is non-judgmental safe space for them to just share and be present. And then later, you can take the time to reflect back what you heard. But in the beginning, it's just about holding space. But again, entering it with curiosity. What are they going through? What are they trying to tell me? Just holding that space. Um, I also like the idea of letting ourselves experience what they're talking about. That's how you really know that you're listening, deeply listening and being connected, is you feel some of the emotions that they're sharing about and discussing in your body. 
You know, they're talking about something sad and heavy. You start to feel sadness and heaviness in your body. That's, that's the empathy. And if you're not feeling any empathy or feeling their experience in your body, then you're not deeply listening. Sometimes that's because of our own traumatic response. You know, we, it's bringing up something from our own past and we don't want to step into that. Or it's because we're not really present to what they're saying. And instead we're in our own head about our thoughts or what we want to say back or whatever it is. But that's, that, that's how we know we are not feeling what they're saying in our bodies. If we don't feel it, then we're not being curious. We're not being open. We're not truly deeply listening. And then finally, just landing it with, what is it you think they want you to know? Like, I think that that's the most powerful thing is what are they trying to communicate or share? That they're happy, that they're sad, that they're lonely, that they're excited and respond to that. And then after all of that, you can circle back and say, hey, can I share with you now what I heard or what I think or what I feel or how I relate to that? But that's like the closing piece right? We don't want to, we don't want to lead with that because when someone comes to us to share something and we're listening, it should be about prioritizing their experience regardless of what they're saying. Right. Um, all right. <clears throat> so that's that. So, uh, dying to get into this. All right. So, uh, monogamy, it's one of the many forms of relational styles and structures that people can choose, but we use this word toxic monogamy, which refers to some of the toxic forms that it can take some of the toxic, really abusive ways that we run a monogamous relationship. And we want to learn what those look like so we can stop doing it. And a lot of them are things that have been normalized where people are like, oh, well, of course you dot, dot, dot. It's like, no. Oftentimes, our friends or television or some of the books we read are really supporting us keeping the bar really low and living in toxic monogamy and anxiety. But the work should always be about being better. Like, how can I be better? How can I learn about myself? How can I, again, and we'll get into some of these examples, but question should always be, I'm being brought into someone's life as their friend, as their loved one, whatever it is. I want to make sure I'm having a positive impact on them in their life. And toxic monogamy is about the opposite. It's about running a relationship so as to never be uncomfortable, jealous, or threatened. And if you're constantly feeling jealous or uncomfortable or threatened, again, if you're in a healthy, trusting relationship, well, then it's your stuff. Because if it's them, get out. If you can't trust because truly your partner is not worthy of trust, well then get out of the relationship. But otherwise, all the feelings that come up are your work. It's not for you to limit what they're doing out in the world so you never feel insecure. That's your, that's, that's, that shows you that you have insecurity to work on. We don't want to be policing our partner's behavior. So I was looking at an article and it was horrifying and hilarious. And it was what they were calling micro cheating. So basically they're saying, what are the low level forms of cheating that most people aren't even aware of or picking up on? And it's uh, ways that people are micro cheating and getting away with it. And some of these are completely outlandish, completely ridiculous, but these are really how some people see the world. And some people, their relational style is, I never want to be uncomfortable. Some people's relational style is, I want to control my partner's every move and their behavior so I'm never uncomfortable and have to deal with my stuff. Again, some people's relational style is, I see everything and everyone as a threat. Their friends are a threat. Them having a hobby is a threat. Them going to work and having a job is a threat. Their family's a threat. That's not healthy. That means you have work to do because you're negatively then impacting this person's life. You're not making it better. You're making it harder and you're centering it all around your comfort and you're keeping the bar low. So what are some of these uh, micro-cheating forms that um, people are talking about? Ready for this one? Leaving the house looking especially hot after a fight just to emphasize how much her significant other has to lose if he doesn't clean up and act better. Now, if you have to use manipulative tactics to feel loved and cared for, we have a huge issue in that relationship. A huge issue. Here's another one. Holding a stranger's gaze for longer than usual. 
hoping to distract them with thoughts of her body. <laughs> like what? If, if, if you really believe that your partner is moving through the world and every action they take is in service of making you feel bad or uncomfortable, again, the question becomes, if that is really what they're doing, get out of that relationship. And if not, please deal with your anxiety. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to slide into those DMs. But afterwards, stick around because we're going to come back and talk about all these ridiculous ways that uh, people carry forward toxic monogamy. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back now. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, y'all, let's see. Tonight's DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, I was sexually molested as a child, and while I've moved on, I worry it will bother a potential husband. Are rape victims less likely to find love? Oh, what a powerful question. No, uh, people that are victims of sexual assault are not less likely to find love takes healing at times because when something traumatic occurs, understandably our system wants to close and shut down and you know, closeness and intimacy can be very triggering, it can feel unsafe. And that's why I wanna be very thoughtful about dating people that can hold space for us, right? We wanna date soft, sensitive people so that we can do the healing work. Sometimes we take a break from dating and relationships, but no, no, absolutely, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to move forward and find love and be very comfortable in your body and sexuality and intimacy. It's work that we do, but it takes time. It definitely takes time. So you have to be very loving and, and, and honest and careful with yourself and let yourself be where you are. And again, try to build comfortable, safe relationships where you can call out overwhelm and let and, and find a partner that can kind of be present. And you know, safe relationships allow us to have access to what we call co-regulation, where if you're needing someone to help calm you down or regulate you, you can turn to them because self-soothing and, and self-regulation is really important, but we also have to be able to receive that from others. That's how we build intimacy and closeness. And so as someone who's the victim of some kind of assault, especially sexual assault, um, we can leave our bodies. We can struggle to be able to find pleasure from our bodies. The same, the same, the same site of the injury, right, is then later supposed to be a site where we feel safety and pleasure, and that can be very hard to reorient and all, and open up and to refine that. So we move slow, setting boundaries around what feels comfortable and how fast we'll go. Saying, you know, giving voice and choice and speaking up and saying no when whatever's happening is not feeling good. And to, and to be with a partner that demonstrates that they're willing to go on that journey with us. Or again, we delay stepping into a relationship like that until we've done a little more healing. But as far as it bothering a partner, no loving, healthy person is going to be thrown off or unwilling to step into the work with someone. Because again, remember, all of us move into future relationships dragging forward whatever trauma or wounds we had from prior relationships, right? And so anyone who wants to be in a relationship has to know that they're going to step into someone's life, which is already in motion, and people will bring forward some struggles from the past, and we have to be willing to accommodate that, right? It's the rare person that's lived a life without any small trauma or large trauma, right? And so being a person, is to have that get brought up in relationships. Relational, most of our traumas are relational and relational traumas will get triggered in relationship, right? So we wanna know what our triggers are so we can work on them. Because again, remember, triggers are for us to learn about ourselves and where our wounds are and our healing. But triggers are also for our partner to learn about where we need some softness and some care. And healthy people will deliver that. And we learn how healthy our partner is sometimes in those times of trigger when our trauma comes up and we see how they manage that with us. And so it will help you weed out who's going to be a healthy partner and who won't be. 
you know, but you're definitely worthy of love. Love is absolutely still possible. And um, there's a lot of people that are willing to kind of step into that and do that work. Um, it's an understandable question though. You know, can I find someone who will love me as I am with all my broken parts, you know, and all my wounds. And um, again, that's part of humanity. And, and oftentimes, uh, you know, we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, but there's also post-traumatic growth, which is some strengthening or enhancements because of some of the wounding that's occurred to us, right? So we always want to hold space for the possibility of shift in some positive directions that can occur. Um, and also, again, we do the trauma work. And you might, you know, if you haven't seen a therapist, I'd absolutely recommend that. Absolutely, 100%. So that you can dig deeper, better understand, resolve, but more importantly, learn some skills and tools, you know? Um, therapy's a really great place to be able to provide that. And again, people that are victims of assault have to be very thoughtful about partner choice. So as to make sure we're not with someone who would recreate that trauma, but instead can be part of healing, you know? But good luck, it's a beautiful journey and you're absolutely worth it. And I think love and relationship is absolutely worth whatever work it takes to be able to make that happen, you know? All right, y'all, uh, we're gonna take a little break, uh, but we'll be closing out the show later with some DMs. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page, so wait in on that. And uh, as always, if you wanna check out some old episodes of Loveline, go over to wearechannelq.com, and uh, please follow us on our IG page. Leave lots of love to our posts, and if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about toxic monogamy and it's something I'm going to be writing a couple articles on so I'll let you all know when they drop. But basically, again, it's not that monogamy is toxic. It's the ways that some people choose to run monogamy within their relationships. And I say it over and over and over and over. Make sure you're aware of the impact you have on the people you're in a relationship with. Uh, make their lives better. And also, if you don't trust them, get out. Because, you know, we only want to be in relationships with people that are worthy of trust. And if we realize we're the person where our persons, our partner's worthy of trust, but we just aren't trusting, well, then we need to look at everything that makes us anxious as a mirror being held up, showing us where our work is. Because our partner's job is not to never make us uncomfortable. Our partner's job is not to walk on eggshells and tiptoe around to never make us get triggered. Triggers show us where our work is. Triggers show us where our wounds are that we need to heal. They're not our partner's responsibility. A loving partner might be willing to take responsibility for some of them, but it's not their job to reorient their entire life so as to never trigger us. Triggers show us where our work is. And if you're constantly triggered, you got a lot of work to do. And maybe you're not in the best place to be brought into someone's life as a partner. Maybe you need to be single and work on this. And some of our triggers are socially created and supported where it's things we've picked up along the way of things that really we shouldn't be upset about and we should let go of a culture saying, no, no, that's not okay. And we're talking about some of the forms of micro cheating, which are totally ridiculous, but some people actually see as an issue. I, I mean, I see this all the time where it's the smallest things that someone's doing out in the world and people frame it as a threat, right? Or they weaponize it. Um, examples all the time on social media. So I'm looking at some of these examples. Uh, people that are too friendly to their server. Like, God forbid you're on a date with someone, you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and they're friendly to the server. That has to be a threat to you? Really? Um, let me look at a couple other ones. Uh, bum, 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 bum. Giving friends with exes is another huge one. We want to, we definitely want to allow that. I talk about that endlessly. That was in 
my book sucks outside the lines. And that was one of the points that made some, made people really upset. Why would you be friends with your exes? Why would you not? But we're not going to talk about that one. We've gotten into that before. Uh, let's talk about some other ones. Ah, uh, yes. The idea that if you're in a relationship or even a marriage, that you're not allowed to have any privacy or boundaries, that your partner has a right to have access to every little thought and thing you do. It's not true. We're allowed to have privacy and boundaries. It's not lying. It's not manipulation. It's we're allowed to have things that no one else has access to. And I mean that within a trusting, healthy relationship. That's not a pass for someone to do something shady. I'm talking about non-shady things. You're, you, have allowed, you have a right to have a diary that your partner can't read. You know what I mean? You have a right to um, go out and have a day to yourself and just let them know you're going out, right? Um, let's talk about other things. Uh, friends. Another form of toxic monogamy is when a partner doesn't want you to go spend time with your friends. And if you do, they're constantly interrupting your time out with your friends. They're constantly texting. What are you doing? Who are you with? Or they punish you when you get home for having gone out and done something and they decided to stay home. They didn't decide to make plans or do something else, but they punish you. They're mad at you. How dare you went out and left me home? How dare you have friends? They're threatened by that. And, or again, they interrupt it. In a healthy relationship, your partner is happy when you're happy. And they're like, well, of course you want to go see your friends. And of course you don't want me there. You want to just relate to your friends. And they give you a kiss and say, I'll see you when you get back. They're not hitting you up. They're not following you. And they don't punish you when you get home. They're like, did you have fun? Awesome, good. That is what a healthy relationship looks like, right? We're not policing them. We're happy when they're happy, right? Also, there's this whole, this is also part of toxic monogamy. The idea that we can't handle the, the, the possibility that our partner will see other attractive things in the world, that our partner will find other things attractive, that if they loved you enough, they would not notice anything else. We have eyeballs. We will always be oriented to other attractive things in the world. We don't have to make a spectacle of it and call it out, but it's okay. It's okay to find out your partner watches porn. There's nothing to be threatened of. It's a video. Relax. Be happy your partner has a solo sex life. And that falls under the privacy and boundaries. You don't, ha you don't have to tell your partner what kind of porn you look at. That is your privacy. That is your boundaries. If they're healthy and safe, you might bring them in and share that. But if they're not, you don't. And it's okay for your partner to say to you, I don't want you to know what I look at. That is my solo sexuality. Solo sexuality is about our own personal sexual autonomy. It, our partner doesn't get to weigh in on that. That is our private business. Just like our partners don't get to weigh in on the kind of TV shows we watch when we're alone or the kind of music we choose to listen to when we're alone. That's up to us. Being in a relationship or a marriage doesn't mean you no longer have rights. It doesn't mean you no longer have autonomy. It doesn't mean you no longer get to have boundaries. You get to watch porn and whatever porn you want. You get to watch whatever movies you want. You get to listen to whatever music you choose to listen to. And you get to set a boundary around that. It's shocking to me, right? All, that happens also with family members where some toxically monogamous couples and relationships will even be threatened by their partner spending time with a family member. Can you imagine? All of this, again, comes back to don't keep weaponizing your partner living a healthy life. Don't keep making their lives harder because you've been brought into it, right? That's the antidote to toxic monogamy is trust, learning to trust, practicing trust. And if you realize you can't, then you leave or you set a new boundary around that. Dating people that are healthy, not letting your friends instill fear and anxiety in you because they're not mature enough to support some of the things you're doing.
Oh, I can't believe you let your friends go. Your, I can't believe you let your boyfriend go out with his friends. You stop your friend and say, I'm going to stop you. You're inciting and, 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 and injecting anxiety into my day when I trust my partner and thereby he can go be anywhere with anyone ever. And it doesn't matter because if you trust someone, then all is well, right? And that's always the caveat. I'm always assuming you're in a healthy relationship that's worthy of that. And if not, you got work to do or you got to get out. But toxic monogamy is this whole concept of just never wanting to have to do the work. And even in healthy, trusting relationships, there will be times where you feel jealous or thrown off by something. But check in with yourself. Is that honestly a threat? Do I want to even honor that? Do I even want to make my partner's day heavier or harder by having to bring this up and making them hold my hand through it? Right? We'll keep talking about it. I think it's a really important thing and some of it's far too normalized. Uh, we're going to take a break. If you want to listen to past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. And if you got a DM for us, drop them in the DMs on our Loveline AG page. We'll be uh, getting to them later in the show and closing out. Stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time for some sex in the news. Ah, uh, yes, there's a lot of sex making a lot of news right now. Uh, this one hurts my heart. And a mom says that other parents want her kids expelled from school because they found out she has an OnlyFans account. Let's break this down. Um, there's nothing wrong. Well, let me say it like this. If you've got a job, then you sell your body for money. Every single job is selling our body for money. Whether you use your body to make coffee drinks at Starbucks, that is selling your body to make money. Whether you're a therapist and you sit there all day using your nervous system and your brain to help people work through the material, that is selling your body. Please believe if you're a dancer, a model, an actor, or an athlete, or a performer of any kind that you are absolutely selling your body to make money. I can't think of a job that doesn't involve selling our bodies to make money. Just sometimes we do it erotically, and this mom is doing it from the comfort of her own home. There's nothing wrong if we can sell our intellect to make money and our athleticism, or we can sell our eroticism. She's making a lot of bank, comfortably sitting at home, doing whatever it is she's comfortable doing. What does that have to do with her kids having the right to get an education at school? You want to punish her kids because you don't like knowing what their mom does for work? Grow up. <laughs> you have some erotophobia to work through. Like that has nothing to do with anything. Her kids have nothing to do with her choices. And there is nothing wrong with working erotically. You want to learn about it? Go to Hulu. It's called Selling Sex. It's a documentary I'm in about OnlyFans <clears throat> where we talk about how it's a big business. People are making a lot of money, living a great life, and there's nothing wrong with it. So I want to start by saying that. Everyone sells their body for money, and there's nothing wrong with selling your eroticism. That's number one. Number two. What do her kids have anything to do with what she does at home? Because I b believe me, this woman is doing this when her kids aren't around. And even if they were, that has nothing to do with them attending an educational institution. That has nothing to do with how her kids' friends will impact the other parents at the school's children. That's number one and number two. Let's also talk about the fact that right now our government has failed most of us, where there are too many people that are unemployed, don't have access to food, shelter, or the healthcare they need. They're getting evicted, unemployment, 
not getting the vaccine, that's failure of the government. And so, yes, some people might be doing work they don't want to do because our government has failed them. But OnlyFans, there is nothing wrong with that. And I recommend it to a lot of people. You want to work from the comfort of your home. You want to sell your eroticism. You want to make some bank. OnlyFans. That's right. There's nothing wrong with entering that industry. So I'm not going to say it's a cause or I'm sorry, I'm not going to say it's a symptom of our government letting us down, but I am going to acknowledge that our government has let us down and that has led some people to do work they wouldn't do otherwise. But maybe this mother said, you know what? I'm not going to live in fear of my body or sexuality. I'm a feminist. We are in the fourth wave of feminism right now, which is body positive, sex positive, pro-sex worker, technologically driven. And she might be saying, I'm going to pull all that together, work from home a few hours a week and buy me and my kids a new house because I'm working with some people that are buying homes off of their OnlyFans money. So don't knock it. It's a beautiful industry. So leave this woman's kids alone. <laughs> Let's not punish kids for uh, behaviors their parents are engaging in that have nothing to do with you or your kids because you're uncomfortable and sex phobic. What's the problem? If she was modeling underwear bathing suits, would you want her kids kicked out of school? right? If she was doing sex scenes in an HBO series, would you want her kicked out? Oh, cause that's okay. As long as it's HBO, the nudity and the sex scenes are okay, but her dancing around in her own lingerie at home, not okay. Why? What's the distinction? The hosting site, HBO Showtime showing sexuality and nudity. That's fine. That's called being an actress, but at home in your own bedroom loses legitimization because there's not a studio behind it. Well, that's stupid, right? So work through your stuff. Let's stop shaming people. That hurts my heart. And I hope that the school completely, completely, completely rejects that. She's bringing in, ready? Um, $150,000 a month. Yep. Sit with that one. Y'all just jealous. Okay, let's move on to the next sex in the news. Uh, ready for this one? This one I love, not shocking. The, uh, there's been a surge in the sales of sex toys especially silent sex toys because people are home all day long. Their kids are home. Their family members are home. Their roommates are home and people still want to engage in self-soothing and self-care. Masturbation is self-care. Masturbation is self-soothing. Had a rough day. Masturbate. Anxious. Masturbate. It's a beautiful form of right brain activation like yoga, like meditation. This is a form of body yoga and body meditation. Masturbation. It is healthy for us. So people are buying not only sex toys, which is great, but they're buying the silent ones. <laughs> because we still have a little shame of acknowledging that we're pleasuring ourselves. We don't want people to know, okay, do what you need to do. I love that though. So I guess the kind of the message in that is that if you're worried about others knowing, cause you have a little anxiety around your sexuality, you can get something that's quiet, something that's small, something that's travel sized. All of that exists now. And I think it's a really great way to invest in yourself. So take advantage of that. But the work is about getting more comfortable with sexuality, not less. The work is learning how to talk about it more, not less. The, wor the work is about getting more confidence and having an active vocabulary, right? So that people like these poor children aren't getting shamed at school because of something the mom does, even though tons of actresses are doing it on Showtime and HBO and in movies, but somehow that's more legitimate. You know, it's okay to dance around in your underwear if it's for Sports Illustrated, but God forbid you dance around at home for OnlyFans. Like, you know, let's calm down a little bit. No one's being harmed. No one's being hurt. No one's being exposed to anything. 
you know? People are just trying to live their lives and get their needs met, folks. We're all in it together. All right, we're gonna take a little break. Enough of that, I'm gonna climb down off of my sex positivity soapbox, but don't worry, I'll be climbing back up real soon. Uh, all right, we'll be back, and then we'll be closing out the show with some DMs, so stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Uh, gosh, I was just having a conversation with a friend a couple days ago about an exact thing that I was looking at an article on, which is, you know, with all of these actors, uh, their bad behavior being brought to light, um, will anyone even watch their movies? The ones that have already been made, the ones that will be made, the ones that are in the works? Like, how do we wrap our heads around that? And, and it's an ethical question that people are asking about musicians as well. You know, in supporting their music, we're supporting them. Is that then also supporting their bad behavior? It's a big, big question. Um, I can share with you what I do. Uh, it is, an, uh, you know, everyone's own ethics are what gets called into question. So the way I see it for me, um, it's important to me to support the work of people that are trying to do meaningful, transformative things out in the world, right? That's what I want to be a part of. Um, <clears throat> I also acknowledge that accountability and transformation is possible. I mean, that's what my work as a therapist is literally rooted in. That's also what my work as a feminist and a social justice person is rooted in. How can we change and make things better? How can we take problematic people out of positions of power? But I'm here for transformation. I believe in transformative justice. I don't believe in punishment. I don't believe in revenge. That's more harm, that's more violence. But I am a fan of accountability. And if someone takes accountability, which means they apologize, they recognize what they've done, they do work to be better, and then they are better, great, I'm here for it. That is my that is my mission statement as a therapist. That's the mission statement of all therapists. That is what social justice is rooted in. And that's what transformative justice is rooted in. How do we transform and actually heal? But that does demand accountability. And we're seeing a lot of people do performative accountability, which is they type, they get on their notepad on their phone and post the same standard apology. Great, but show me how you're actively working to learn and to be better. That's what's most meaningful to me. I don't care about your apology. The, the victims do, but I wanna see you being better. I wanna see that you've been educating yourself. I wanna see that you're working to dismantle the same systems that exist that are as problematic as you were, right? Now, I personally cannot support the art or work of someone who's been problematic. I, I don't wanna support and put more money in their pocket. If someone's done the work and taken accountability, yes, I'm here for you, 100%. Um, but people that are just you know putting out those performative apologies that I don't really think are in it, I, I can't sit through their movie. I can't sit through listening to their music because I don't believe you can separate the uh, performer from what they perform. You cannot, in my mind, separate the artist from the art. And it's really hard for some people. And we're talking a lot about it because of the new Woody Allen documentary that's came out on HBO. It's HBO, right? And uh, it's looking at his history of abuse, uh, child abuse, sexual abuse on um, his daughter and more. I, you know, I don't know the full length of the story. I've only seen the first episode, more to come. And people are saying, okay, well, retroactively, what do we do about the films that he's already made? I can't step into that psyche. That psyche of that person exists in their prior art. And it's to step into that, into that mindset, into their work. For me, I don't want to support that or drive that forward. You know, I'm here for people's transformation and restoration and accountability. Um, but until that happens, I personally can't support someone's work or anything they do. And, you know, again, it's a wake up call. Like, look at your stuff. Everyone get into therapy. 
Be self-reflective. Have more consciousness. Look at who you're harming. If, if, if you're harming people, fix it. Let's be better. And I support studios and platforms and networks that are like, I don't want to carry support and drive forward the work of people that are a problem. So I understand why artists are getting dropped, like Marilyn Manson dropped from his record label, et cetera, et cetera. I understand why studios don't want to work with Shia LaBeouf. I get it. That there's so many people to work with. And if someone hasn't done the work on accountability and healing, they don't want to, they don't want to be associated with them. That's not cancel culture. That's consequences. And consequences are real. Yeah, there's consequences. To the actress in The Mandalorian who said some anti-Semitic stuff. You're right. It's understandable that the company and the franchise is like, we don't want to work with you or be associated. We talked about that with uh, Trump's presidency. I support people that are saying our ethics are not compatible. I don't want to be in relationship to people that support bigotry and violence. It's not cancel culture. It's consequences. What you support, you are accountable to. And understandably, people don't want to be around or work with people who have a legacy of being a problem. That's my ethics. That's what I believe. And that's how we create change is consequences. People see if I continue to engage in bad behavior, my work and, and I will suffer. And that's part of what makes people do better and go get educated. But then there's a lot of people that aren't and won't. So it's a beautiful topic. What do we do with those favorite artists, musicians, and actors who have put out music that we love and films we like watching? What do we do? And for me, if, if accountability and restoration is occurring, I'm in. If not, I'm not. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to support that. Um, it's consequences, and we need that, you know? We're in an interesting moment, and I appreciate that some people are thinking we're being too hypersensitive. And I've seen some examples of people being a little too hypersensitive. It's okay to be made uncomfortable. It's okay for people to not agree with you. Uh, if harm or violence is caused, yes, we need accountability around that. But if no one's harmed and there's no violence, and you're just uncomfortable, or you just disagree, we have to learn how to sit in that. That is not something we need to dismantle or remove. It's okay for people to disagree and have different opinions. That is separate from harm and violence. Those are two separate things. We cannot conflate the two. And some people try to. Well, they don't agree with you. Oh, no, no, no. They're engaging in harm and violence. That is something separate. Um, we'll keep talking about it because it's not something that's done or over going away, and it's an important topic. Um, but, you know, ask your friends. You know, I'd love to hear from you all. Sign the DMs and let us know. And uh, segue, that's what's coming up next. So stick around, some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, lately there have been a lot of changes going on in my life. My fiance and I just purchased a home and I have gotten very anxious about things that need to be done, such as repairs, etc. And I'm thinking a lot about the future and it just gets way into my head. It's caused me to feel very overwhelmed and depressed. And it's somewhat affected our relationship because I get upset that he doesn't share the same urgency as I do. I've been internalizing a lot of this. The other day I broke down and started to talk to him about what's going on and then I'm feeling very depressed and he listened but couldn't really say much. He told me that he's unable to empathize. Should I consider that a red flag? I go up and down with my emotions sometimes and keep it to myself when I'm anxious or depressed because he never really comforted me and I don't know if that's a deal breaker. I'm being very open about my dark moments. So there's a lot in here and we talk a lot about how to be a good listener. Um, that's what we were talking about earlier in today's show. So maybe sit down and play that for him because not everyone has been socialized into good listening. 
And we have to remember that. We want to be very careful about just determining who someone is, who they'll always be, and saying red flag and get rid of them. People are flexible and malleable. Healthy people are. Healthy people are open to change. But if someone's been socialized in a family or a world, socially with friends, where people aren't expressive with their emotions, well then, understandably, that's not something that they're familiar with or something they lean into. But that doesn't mean they're not open to it. Again, as a therapist, my job and my work is rooted in helping people change, and they do. Um, and maybe this person's also been in a lot of relationships where his partner hasn't been able, open, or interested in a lot of depth or honesty or intimacy. And so you have to practice that. And, uh, you know, again, I just did a segment on better listening and, and there's books on that. So be open to going on a journey. We don't just bounce as soon as someone shows, a, you know, a lack of a capacity that's necessary for us, right? So going back to the first thing you said, though, is I'm glad he doesn't have the, the same urgency you have. You're using the word urgency, which a lot of people are like, oh, okay, urgency. But no, it's anxiety. You have anxiety all over the place. It's good that your partner doesn't. That would amplify yours. That would be a mess. So when we're a gas pedal, we need a partner to be a brake. When we're spinning out, we need our partner to be an anchor, and he is. I'm glad he doesn't have the anxiety you have. So find value in that. You don't want him to match your anxiety. That's, that's out of control. So value that he's anchored. Also, when you share with your emotions with them, it's okay to tell them what you need. Hey, when I share it with you, I don't need you to... I, I would get rid of words like empathy because he's basically saying, I don't relate to that. I don't think in those ways. But you don't need him to. That's not the goal. You just need him to listen. He can't cure or solve. So I want to make sure you're not thinking that he should have a solution or he should also be anxious because that's not the goal or necessary. You just want him to listen. That's all people can offer us is to witness and be a companion on our journey. Tell him that. When I share with you my emotions or my anxiety, just listen. And that is empathizing. And so you do know how. But he doesn't need to relate. He doesn't need to take it on, right? He doesn't need to feel himself. He doesn't need to think that it's necessary. That's not the goal in us building intimacy by sharing, right? But if you do want a solution to all your anxiety, you have to work on managing that. You have to work on writing down, what are the things I'm worried about? What are the things I can manage and control and handle? Good, let me go do that. What are the things I can't control? Good, I gotta work on letting that go. Why am I so overwhelmed by a lot of repairs needing to be done? There is no time limit. You can take the next decade to work on your house. What, what is the rush? What's the anxiety about? The anxiety is rooted in I think something needs to be done, but it doesn't. Take your time. Buying a home should be rooted in joy, just like people's marriage should be rooted in joy, just like holidays should be rooted in joy. But instead, we turn it into it's supposed to go a certain way on a certain timetable. And then understandably, our mood and our, and our, and our feelings are tied to that but it's supposed to just be fun. Find some pleasure and fun in the process of buying and owning a home. Otherwise, don't. Seriously, if it's that stressful, don't buy it. Don't. It might be bigger than you can step into, but if you're gonna step into something like that, be ready for it and have the perspective of this is something I want, this is a gift, no anxiety needed. We have all the time in the world. There's no right way. Maybe some things are left unrepaired, you know? It's a good thing for you to work on, but if it's too much for you, then don't buy a home. It's like I say to people, if you're going to be stressed out planning a holiday, don't do it. That's not the point. It's a misuse of it, you know? But your job, your husband's job isn't to take on your anxiety or to be anxious himself. His job is to mirror for you what calmness can look like. But I do think it's appropriate for asking him to hold space for that and listen, you know? All right, good luck. That is our show. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. And if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about some interesting things, including a new phenomenon called boomerang kids. Yep, stick around for that. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out and you enjoy the rest of your night.